Hey, how's it going? Um, welcome to the first episode of the show. Um, the show, hey, this is this is it. It's real. It's, it's actually been it's been interesting um, organizing all of this, and uh, I have a different podcast, and that one's called Alex and Liam Talk, and I that Alex and Liam. So there was me, Alex, and then there was Liam, my friend, and. That means there are two people. And when there are two people, it kind of takes the pressure off. And so this has been a bit, this has been like a very interesting experience. It's also very strange being in a room in like a studio by myself and just like, I don't know what to look at when I speak. And there's just like this microphone right in front of my face. Um, But yeah, I mean, like, hi, welcome. Welcome to the first episode. Um, If you don't know what this podcast is about, uh, I should probably give you some context, but hey, haha, I already have done that and I did it in an introductory episode, which I have already posted. So I think you should check that out if you don't really know what I'm going to be talking about. Um, yeah, so uh, today I did an interview and I did an interview with a person and that person is called Madison Griffiths and Madison is a writer. She's a poet, an activist, feminist and a truly beautiful soul. Um, She is, yeah, she's been published all over the place and has an incredible way of of framing and sculpting words um, and both spoken word and written word. So um, if if you'd like to read some of her things, um, she has a, a Twitter where she shares lots of stuff. Um, she also has a Tumblr. Um, I don't really know how to use Tumblr, but she has a Tumblr. Um, she's also been published in places like Vice, The Guardian and SBS. And yeah, um, I'd actually met Madison a few years ago, um, when I was, <clears throat> when I was 18 and we were both doing law degrees at a hellhole called Monash University Clayton campus. Um, and yeah, we both dropped out um, after deciding that, yeah, it was a disastrous decision um, to enroll in a law degree. Um, uh, yeah, and we, we, we didn't realize how much we had in common um, because I think that was a very strange and like artificial space and it was hard to kind of connect with people. And I was also younger and didn't really know how to talk about who I was um but yeah over the course of our conversation we realized that um yeah there there was a lot that we had in common and we had experienced a lot of similar things Um, we're both people of color um and we've had you know the experience of negotiating how I how our identities fit into our lives in Melbourne um which is yeah a, a rich and diverse and colorful and challenging place um so yeah, in the in the interview, we spoke about some really interesting topics like uh, cancel culture, virtue signaling, identity politics, social media, and some more personal things like our experiences with mental health, with racism, and that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, I I don't want you to be surprised by um, you know the kind of the, the ways that the conversation develops. So I just like to take a moment to say that this interview does tend does um we do discuss some very heavy themes um such as racism and mental health um, suicide and abuse um and these are very delicate topics and um 
Madison discussed them uh, with incredible sensitivity, delicacy, and awareness. So, um, yeah, I, I really do hope you enjoy the conversation. Um, it was it was one that meant a lot to me, and I am I am yeah I'm honoured to be able to start it by talking to someone who is so thoughtful, and um, I really felt like I was able to connect with. Um, even though it was, you know, only the second time that we'd spoken. So I really do. I hope you enjoy the conversation and thanks. Um, this is my podcast voice. <laughs> How good. <laughs> How good. We all um, have one. I have one as well. Oh, really? Mm. Okay. It's oh, a bit yeah, asmr Yeah, but ASMR's good. It is great. It's Do you wonderful. listen? Oh, yeah. Actually? Yeah. When? Usually when I'm trying to get to sleep. Okay. And then I... I so I was listening for a while and then I, I gave it up. But I, a lot of people that listen to gave it up. Sounds my, like a drug. I know. <laughs> I know. A lot of people that listened to um, the podcast were like, oh, there's very ASMR-esque. I think maybe subconsciously I was getting involved. <laughs> Lull people into. <laughs> um, so I was, I was trying to, like, write a bio to introduce you. Yeah. But you've done like a billion things. <laughs> so congratulations. Thank you. Um, but how how would you describe yourself for people who don't, for the listeners who don't know you? Um, I'd say that I am primarily a writer. Okay. Um, and I write opinion pieces for a variety of different publications. Um, but I then use that writing avenue to explore audio, different mediums like audio or um, fine arts or mainly just audio and fine arts. Uh, but, yeah, I'd say I'm primarily a writer. Okay. Yeah. Um, and did you, like when you were younger, was it something that you were really into, um, was writing your... Like in throughout high school, and when like to, has it always been a passion of yours? Or? A little bit. I think I've always yes, I've always sort of kept journals, and I've always been very um, interested in literature and and, and reading. Um, but I certainly tried to quash that throughout uh, my tertiary studies. Okay, um, quash, hey, quash. Yes. Why is that? Um, I there was this moment I, I think which a lot of people go through where if you you are academic or you do well in school if you're good with numbers you study medicine yeah. and if you're good with words you study law yeah yeah um and well, we've both done a pretty good job hey yes <laughs> we've both done incredibly well <laughs> um so i thought i'll just go down the law path and hope that it's stimulating mm. um and it wasn't so mm. I did always think that I would inevitably end up back into journalism or writing or or, or something of that same mm. um, vein. But yeah, never had a concrete plan mm. until sort of now, mm. I guess. Mm. Yeah, I said, I said we've done well before, um, and what I meant was that, yeah, like I I had a really similar experience. So my dad is Algerian and. He comes from a tradition where, is, which is essentially the same as what you described. Like, if you're good with numbers, you do medicine. If you're good with words, you also do medicine. But if you can't do medicine, you do law. <laughs> yes. And so, like, growing up, I only knew of, like, one career that mm. was going to, yeah, that, like, would prevent me from being disowned. Yes. And that was med. 
Yes. Um, and like I wanted to do it for most of my life. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh my I actually enrolled. I I did biomed. No. Yeah. Um, not for I did it for a day, <laughs> and it was it was dreadful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the I've I've thought about that a lot over the past few years, and I think that it's one of the worst things you can do to a young person is to tell them that like if they have a particular talent that they it's only going to be um it's only going to mean anything if they go into medicine or law absolutely Um, and i feel like i've seen it in people like i have friends from when we were both at monash like i i met some lovely people there um who you know may have just gone into it because that's what they've been told to do um Mm. and yeah it feels like like why did so for a bit of background for the listeners madison and i both did were enrolled in law degrees initially um and we both let it go (laughs) um after how long for you uh i lasted two and a half years no yeah yeah wow yeah pretty bad hey that's quite incredible (laughs) how long were you there for I was enrolled for, I think, two years, okay. but I slowly started letting go of my law subjects ah. and then would only do art subjects. Um, so I think I only did law for a year. Okay. Yeah. And why did you let it go? I, like, what do you think is different? Why do you think you are different from the people who felt the same pressure mm. to do law because they were good with words? Mm. Why do you think that you may have let it go where they didn't? Totally. I was always creatively pulled as right. well. And I I was, um, during my law degree, I had started accidentally freelancing. So I had started publishing essays with Vice and I was getting this sort of sense of um, hope and being pulled towards a an area, be it um, publishing, hmm. um, that I was really attracted to. And I wanted to spend all of my energy doing that. Um, And I was also really engaged in my art subjects as well. And every time it came to doing law, I had this real sense of um, blind hope. Like I was very proud when Mm. I got into the law degree. Mm -hmm. I was very proud. Mm. Um, But I did have this sort of sense of, yeah, blind hope and um, ignorance Mm. about what it all meant. Mm. Whereas I I just didn't find it stimulating. Mm. And it's really hard for me to engage with something I'm not stimulated by or right. don't feel like I have at least a little bit of um, a capacity to break, th- not break the rules, but a capacity to um, mould something into something else. Mm. And I just could not do that mm. with law. And I did terribly mm. in terms of my oh, same. Yeah, <laughs> I really, really struggled. Yeah. Um, and did you, like, was there, was there any part of it that you liked? Like, was, um, do you think that I think so. I I think so. I like. I really loved the idea. Okay. Like I I think a. Mm, I mean, the amount of articles I've read about law degrees not being useful. Yeah. I'm sure there is some value, mm. some worth to them. Mm. Um, and I really, really, really admire people that mm. stick it out mm. because it's an incredible feat. Mm. Um, I would love. I mean, my, my parents still think that there might be a glimmer of hope. That oh. I might go back. I did lie to them for two years. Um, they thought I was still enrolled. Actually, yeah. wow. Yeah, that was a bad How time. did they react when – so, do they know the truth? No. They don't know the truth. No, they know that I am not currently 
They don't listen to you on podcasts, do they? They won't find out the truth this way. No. They don't listen to me on anything. Uh, no, they have a few times. I feel bad saying that. Um, <laughs> Sorry, mum. <laughs> I know. Please don't disown me. Oh, gosh. Um, when they found out I was only doing part-time, mm. they were, um, you know, you're a disappointment. What have you done? So, yeah, that was the point where I thought there was absolutely no way I can tell them. Mm. Um and now they they seem to accept that for now that I'm not going to finish my law degree, mm. but there is still that hope mm. that I will go back to it one day. Mm. And do you think that's like where – do you think it's a cultural thing? I think it is. I think um, for context, so my dad's from a very working class background. So he left school at 14, um, got a job at the racetrack where he mm. was an apprentice jockey and um, everyone in his family has either worked – you know, with horses or owning fish and chip shops and, you know, truck drivers, mm. that sort of genre of, mm. of career. And my mum's side of the family um, uh, is Sri Lankan um, and they lived in the commission flats and they, uh, yeah, it was very, my mum left school very young as well. It was very, very different for them. So for me, they really invested a lot of um, energy into, I guess, yeah, they treated me a little bit like an investment in the sense that they'd worked really, really hard for something and that was for me to have a good opportunities. But that meant um, that there was it was black and white. There was no way to succeed unless you went down this very traditional trajectory. Mm. Um, and I can understand their fears mm. I absolutely can, but I, yeah, it, it, it was very different. And mm. I did, I went to a private school, mm. I had a scholarship mm. and I was sort of associated with a lot of people that um, were born into old money whose mm. parents had university degrees, mm. yet alone finished school. And it was very strange um, and humbling, but mm. strange mm. in the sense that I just felt very, yeah, isolated isn't the right word because I was very, I loved school and I was very involved, but I felt it, it felt very obvious to me that um, my relationship with education and progress and the future was quite different mm. to the people around me. Yeah. Right. I, um, I, I also had the same experience. Like, and it's, I feel like the first 20 years of my life, I was just like drifting through mm. oblivious and ignorant to like, this history that I had and this culture that I'd inherited and these expectations and these pressure, this pressure that surrounded me. Um, it sounds like we had quite a similar experience. Yeah. Like I, my mum, my mum's Macedonian and her family migrated when she was, uh, I think like 10 ish, mm -hmm. nine or 10 from Macedonia. They came on a boat. It took six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my grandma came on a boat in the seventies. Whoa! With her family. And it's just—it's nuts. Yeah, it's it actually like, oh is. Gosh. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, like although I think the boat that she came on was, um, it sounded like kind of nice. Mm. Um, like there, it was a boat full of migrants from, like I, I think they traveled down to Italy and got the boat from Italy, and like. I think my mum just said that like they had pasta every night for six oh weeks. Oh my god, um, I love that. Which is 
Yeah, I mean, like you'd hope that there were good chefs or something because that's a lot of pasta. <laughs> but um, yeah, and my dad's Algerian, mm. um, and both of them were university educated. Um, my mum actually did the same degree that I did. What? She did Bachelor of Arts um, in the 70s, I think. Oh, my gosh. Um, late 70s. Um, and my dad studied in Algeria and then in France um, when he was a bit older. But, yeah, I also – I didn't feel pressure from my mum because she felt – she was, like, imme- like heavily pressured by her parents mm. to – because she was the first generation – Oh, the first generation here and she wasn't like she doesn't respond she doesn't handle pressure very well mm. as i i don't handle pressure well either um and yeah i think it really ruined the education experience for her um and so i think with me she had like a kind of hands-off parenting style totally but i had this my parents are separated um mm-hmm. and i was raised by my mum, um and yeah i had like the whisper of my dad just like Alexander. <laughs> like when I, yeah, when I'd show interest in something else, he'd like reappear and be oh like, my gosh. oh. It's terrible. Um, it's like Mufasa. Yeah, actually, like. <laughs> actually. Um, so, yeah. And I, I think I've developed, I think the most unhealthy relationship I've ever had with anything has been with learning and yeah. like with education. Um, because, yeah, I think it's become like the avenue for like redemption or something yes, for my family. Yes, that's such a good is. way of putting it. That's yeah. I've never thought of it like that. That avenue of redemption, I love that. There is a way to prove yourself yeah, by yeah. an objective standard. Yeah, yeah. And it's not just, you're just, not just proving yourself, you're proving all of the sacrifices mm, that mm, your family made mm. um, to get to Melbourne. Yeah. To, you know, it's... And, there's that's a lot of pressure yeah, even if they're yeah. not sub like they're not actually literally putting that mm, on you mm, um you feel it you mm. feel sort of this you know, i'm very close with my grandmother and she is incredibly supportive of me um but there is this this air of you know she was never given the opportunity mm. to study mm. um or even finish like she came to yeah she came to australia when she was so young i'd said the 70s before but that was much later she my mum was born in the 60s, so she must have come to Australia. Anyway, it was it was earlier than the 70s. Mm. Um, yeah, and then there's someone like my dad who was never given the opportunity mm. to study. Um, so, there, yeah, the, the pathways of redemption mm. are very black and white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and do you think that soured the your t- your experience with tertiary education absolutely right. i was such a terrible student um i loved the idea of being a student but i wasn't involved in any way um i very begrudgingly um did my assignments late and i mean i still managed to do well but and i was kind of sp- um spoilt in that regard that i was essentially because I was writing essays on similar topics for publications. I guess I was studying in a way. Um, but yeah, it definitely did. I felt, I felt very much like I was a triangle trying to fit into a circle. Like it was, it was incredibly frustrating. Um, and God, one, the first year I was studying law, I moved back in with my family and we didn't even have internet because my parents hadn't thought to organize it. Um, so I was using like my hotspot to study and I was just so bitter, mm. so unbelievably bitter um, sitting in the law library with, with people that 
you know, have three generations of, of lawyers or mm. academics or, mm. and you're just like, oh, God, of course you're here. Mm. Of course you're going to mm. do well. Mm. If I don't, then what on earth does that say yeah, about my yeah. family? Mm. So, yeah, I totally, it's definitely soured everything. Mm. <laughs> yeah. um, and how did you, like, were you able to, <clears throat> how much did you feel like you could relate with the people that you were around? Um. On a superficial level, incredibly. Right, because um, from Melbourne. Yeah, from been. Melbourne, I, I, I'd i say three quarters of people in that degree went to a private school mm. and I did too. Um, I am white passing um, or I am predominantly white. So, of course, I, I do look white um, and, you know, young and like to do the same fun things that a lot of these kids do on weekends. Um so I certainly did feel some kind of kindred alliance. Mm. But then I'd get back in the car and drive down to Cranbourne, mm. you know, or mm. then there'd be this, um, yeah, this this fundamental difference mm. in how we – I think it's an entitlement thing, mm. even just being feeling entitled to that space, you know. I just – I never felt like there was an equal relationship mm. there. It was really – there's only so many times you can wear a mask, and I yeah I, did, I don't think I really I made friends, but mm. I didn't I wasn't around enough to mm. invest in those friendships. Mm. Um, yeah, mm. it's weird. Yeah, it is, and yeah, like it's it's really like I'm getting goosebumps as I hear you say these things because I like I the thing about not having yeah like what what you said before when you when you left, when you would leave uni and you'd return home, mm. it'd be like returning to like a different world. Like that's yes. that's what I experienced. Like um, I grew up in the inner north of Melbourne <clears throat> and sorry, I've got this little... No, that's fine. Um, <laughs> and most of the people who I, who went to Monash were from the east. Yes. Um, and people didn't know the north very well. I remember returning home... And coming home to my mum, my mum's cooking um, and like my Macedonian grandma who'd lived in Australia for 50 years but still couldn't speak English, um, <laughs> which was a pretty incredible feat in itself. Um, but yeah, it really felt like I had this, like I had two identities. Yes. Or like, you know, so many more, but like I had these two very clear ones. I had like the mask, which was like, this person that tried to tried to understand what the life a life of extreme privilege was like mm. um and then i had this like culture this like cultural mask that i'd put on that was like the mask that i'd been raised yes. in so i guess it's not really a mask it's just like me totally. um but yeah it was very confusing and i like yeah, I I didn't know who I was. And like I, I, I still don't really know, but um As yeah. a fellow dropout. Yeah, yeah. How was that um like for you to tell your parents? Um So I had a lot of people this is what's quite funny, I had a lot of um people from privileged backgrounds mm. or, or you know, white people or, or rich people mm. or white rich people. Mm. Um and for full transparency, my parents make quite a bit of money mm. now they mm. but it's new money mm. which is very different mm. to old money um but 
I remember that I getting this sort of advice, like, oh, they'll love you. Just tell them. They'll want you to pursue your, your dreams. <laughs> and it was like, are you serious? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've got to be joking. Yeah, Do yeah. I want to be beat? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> there um, is no way. No, I, actually, like, I, it was quite interesting. Um, when I told people, like, people from the East, white, rich, privileged, that I was letting go, that I was dropping out, they, it was like unfathomable. Yeah. Uh, they, they couldn't understand. And they, they, there was like this thing about the issue was with me. Mm. Um, as in like they, I think they'd expect that, you know, I'd go home and tell my parents. And as you said, oh, you know, pursue your dreams, honey. Like it's all going to be okay. Exactly. Um, but yeah, there was like at, in terms of um, like purpose, I don't think that, it was. It didn't seem to be a very common trend. One to drop out, and two, um, yeah, and two for it. Yeah, for it, like especially for someone who didn't come from such privilege to let something go. Um, yeah, and it looks ungrateful. Yeah, it, it. I think it. It does look ungrateful, but I'm not sure that that's what, how it would have felt for them. Mm. Um, but maybe because you said before that there was like an entitlement to space. Yes. Um, and so maybe in that sense, it might be like a disrespecting of the space because I was like move, like coming in from the north and like I look different and like people told me that I spoke with like a strange accent. They're like, oh, like, <laughs> did you learn like English in the UK? ASL. Like, hey, yeah, ASL. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And so I think in that respect, it may have been like um, – yeah, like a kind of confusion. But um, yeah, I think the most shock, the people who were the most shocked, apart from my dad, I haven't spoken about my dad yet. That was, yeah, like it ended his world when I told him I that bet. I was letting go. He actually didn't speak to me for like 18 months. But Oh my um, gosh, I'm so not another, surprised. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. Um, but the most, I, I, I still to this day, I'm so, it's so shocking that the people who could empathize the least with my decision were the people who came from the most privileged absolutely and i like that's telling of something but i don't think i've quite figured out what it is telling of i know what you mean and and yet so willing to one thing i find really funny is that willingness to be so supportive i I have a lot of friends that that love what i do Mm. um but and and it it absolutely shell-shocked when i say things like you know my parents don't don't mm. or they don't understand what I do or they don't take an interest and I I um it doesn't bother me um but it really bothers them mm. and it's this strange thing about um you know this real individualism mm, in mm. in like very eurocentric cultures mm, mm. of like you you bring up your child they're a bit rude to you <laughs> they're a moody teenager then they do their own thing and they visit once a month. Yeah. Like if I don't call my mum, I call my mum every day. Mm. And if I don't, then it's like I'll get a call from my grandma or mm. I get a call from my dad mm. and it's like, where have you been? <laughs> what are you doing? Because it's so we're so enmeshed in each other's lives. Mm. Um, so everything I do does matter. Mm. I can't just be like, stuff you guys. Like I, you don't understand me. That's such, that's, it's such a Eurocentric way of thinking mm. about things. Mm. 
Um, but they're so willing to be like, no, you know, if they love you, they'll respect yeah. you. It's like, <laughs> no, it, they've, they've put so much on the yeah, line. Yeah, it doesn't work like doesn't that. It doesn't work yeah. like that. Yeah. It's an exchange. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you, they, your kids are a product of you yeah. when you yeah. come from different backgrounds. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I remember my dad telling me that, like, when I was quite young, he was like, yeah, he was like, you are, like, you are what, you will become what I have made in Australia. Like, wow. yeah, when when he migrated, he's like, you know, you are... You're the dream. Yeah, like, you are what, like, you are the extension of me. Like, yes. what I haven't been able to do, like, you will become. Um, and, yeah, I remember, like, I only remembered this, like, a year and a half ago or something. Um, but, yeah, I was hearing this when I was a little kid. Um, yeah. And, you know, from, yeah, like, after 9-11, like, my dad, my dad's his skin's darker than mine mm-hmm. um and after 9-11 i remember him telling me about racist slurs and oh, you no. know um uh, yeah like you, you can imagine I, I don't need to i don't need to explain what like you know islamophobia mm-hmm. is still um rife today mm-hmm. um but yeah like and I, I still like i said before these like two identities that i have i'm still like i I haven't found like a piece between them um, because I still, I forget that like my dad, he was born in Algeria, like post-colonial. Oh, he was born two years before the independence, but wow. like in, you know, a very violent setting. Um, he was raised in Algeria. He migrated to France to live a better life. And Gee. then, um, yeah. And so there's like, and there he's a very proud man. And like, as... I, yeah, I just I have to remember that there's like this whole history that I actually don't like I wasn't raised in. Yes, um, and deliberately so. Yeah, deliberately so. Like yeah. he didn't teach me Arabic. He didn't want to teach me French. Wow, um, really? Yeah, he like he didn't want me to touch that world at all. Oh my goodness! Um, because of what it had meant for him, um, and yeah, yeah. Like unfortunately, like I'm not really in contact with him mm. too much. Um, but yeah. Like, How does that feel given that that's a huge – it's not just your dad. Mm, it's mm, it's a huge part of your mm, cultural background mm, mm. that you don't really have access to. Yeah, yeah. Um, I imagine that would be quite dissociating. Yeah, it really – well, it just like – so I met my – I went um, – my dad isn't in contact with his siblings mm-hmm. anymore. They haven't spoken for – he's the eldest of ten. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, which is pretty <laughs> incredible. I just um, opened my mouth really wide. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I'm an only child, which wow, is... Wow, so am yeah. I. Oh, really? Again, wow. that pressure of like, Ugh, All you are the one. All eggs in one, <laughs> one basket. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like I I still haven't quite understood what it means, what my Algerian heritage, how it manifests, because like I haven't, I'm not really part of that world. Have you been? Um, no, I haven't been. Wow. Um, I haven't been to Algeria. I went to Morocco, yeah. which is close. Yeah. Mm. Um, and did you feel like a tourist ah uh, i grew my beard out a bit um yes but yeah i did feel like a tourist um uh but yeah the the point that i was going to make was that um so the, you asked me how how i feel about how it feels how that culture feels to me whether mm. it's a part of me um i think i think that's what you are absolutely okay um yeah uh it feels yeah, like it, it is, 
it does have a disassociate a disassociative effect um mm. it does because like i i don't know where i stand like i have my mum's history my dad's history i wasn't even born in melbourne or in australia where um, were you born i was born in france my oh, my wow. parents met in france um which is so cool kind of kind of cool i i i don't know um they don't they yeah i've had an interesting experience in france as an algerian um yeah uh yeah and like i haven't been able to speak with my dad about it and he's very reluctant to speak about it understandably um but in 2017 i went to france for yeah i wasn't intending to meet up with my family with his siblings but i did um and it was the most consuming experience of my life and also probably the most beautiful experience yeah, of my wow. life. Um, yeah, you said before that uh, your, it seems like your family, you said your, your lives are enmeshed. Mm. Um, I haven't really had that experience. Yeah. Um, my family's kind of been like atomized and we're just kind of like split. Um, and my mum's side of the family, they don't, like the 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 few of them that are here, they don't they're not in contact. Wow. Um, and so it's just kind of me and my mum. Yeah. <laughs> and wow. then my dad's somewhere. Um, and and then you don't rest... live together, do you? So no, I moved out. Yeah. Um, my mum lives close by. Nice. Um, which is nice. But yeah, uh, I haven't. When the reason why it was so overwhelming in f- meeting my family in France was because I was, I was invited and welcomed into this already established network that was all about itself and all about nurturing and protecting and i'd never experienced anything like that before yeah wow um all about conserving that familial bond yeah and the family name became so important and the family name was known yeah wow Um, and like i like i didn't realize that like names meant things Mm. um and that like that a family could be a cohesive unit. Um, totally. And so it, it's been kind of confusing and then like leaving and then it was, yeah, it was a strange time. Um, I can't but, imagine that my family's unbelievably enmeshed right. in the sense that it's actually a little bit satirical or comical because my, so my father and his brother married, my father married my mother, obviously. <gasps> But my father's brother married my mother's sister. Actually? Yeah. Wow. And they had a double wedding. Really? Yes. Are you serious? Yes. I'll wow. send you photos. It's Please. hilarious. Um, and it gets more intense. So they had a double wedding. There were two brides, two grooms. Um, and it made sense given that, that, you know, you can't have two weddings with the same people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially given all of the Sri Lankans and, and you know, the, they all they all worked together. Mm. So they all had the same friends. Mm. Um, and they all lived together. And then mum and mum fell pregnant and then Kerry, mum's sister, fell pregnant and Ryan and I were born during the same week and we're the same age. Actually? Yes. So wow. we share our birthday on the same, essentially the same yeah, yeah. Um, birthday. Was all of this planned? No. <laughs> that's what, that's so interesting. Wow. Um, yeah. So Ryan and I grew up together and he was, he's essentially my brother. Yeah. Um, we fight like brother and sister. We lived together for a while. We're just, um, we share our birthday. We have the same group of friends. We're incredibly close, um, incredibly different, but incredibly close. And 
it's quite funny. I mean, when you look at the the family tree, it literally just, you know, squashes together mm-hmm. when it gets to Ryan Eye because it, it, all, everything is tied together. Mm-hmm. We're genetically brother and sister. Mm-hmm. We just have different parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we and also when my grandmother separated from my grandfather, um, she's best friends now with his wife. You know, wow. everyone's so close. Um, it's like you just cannot get away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Both sides of the family. I don't have different sides of the family. Yeah, There's just yeah. more white people on one side than there are, or more racists as well yeah, on one yeah. side than there are on the other. Right. Um, but yeah, it's really strange. It's really odd. Wow. And what's it been like having um, maybe racists on one side and then yeah. people of color on the other? It's There was this interesting... Um, there's this thing I, I sort of say as a joke and because it is just if if you knew my grandfather on my dad's side, you'd find it. He, he's, yeah, he's not wonderful. Right. Um, but I remember once um, Ryan, my cousin, he his girlfriend was with us um, for Christmas and she's um, Argentinian. Um, and he she had a friend coming from France, an exchange student. Um, so it was a, sort of a massive event Mm. um and this exchange student was vegetarian so she was helping herself to the salads and i've been um vegan for like seven years and um yeah and my grandfather my um my dad's dad he's an obnoxious cowboy Um, and he sort of says to her oh you know no wonder um you wonder you look so pale and sick, all vegetarian, blah, 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 going on. And this poor girl can't speak much English. So she's being oh, no. hounded by this man in chapettes um, <laughs> with a rolled cigarette tucked behind his ear. Like he's a, he's a caricature of, of Western yeah. redneck. Yeah. Um, and I tried to lighten the mood and sort of said, um, oh, come on, Pop, you wouldn't say that about me. And he says, but that's because you've got mongrel Indian bred into you. Um, and my grandma's laughing and it's, or he'd call her blackie or something like Mm. that. And she's not that dark. Not that that makes it, (laughs) I wouldn't be acceptable if she was. Um, but it's, it's so interesting how, um, he feels given his access to, Mm. given how white he is in his whole world Mm. and that whole side of my family, but given their access to brown people, Mm. it's almost permission Mm. to make Mm. those jokes. Right. Um, and being the product of both, because mm. I'm very close with my grandmother, mm. but I'm also genetically just as close to that yeah, type yeah, of yeah, man. Yeah. That can be a really strange feeling, mm. where I I try and sort of isolate my vision and, and be like, no, 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 I'm like I'm like my grandmother. Mm. We're very close, but there is still this real bastardly part of mm. me, um, and I know he won't ever hear this, so mm. I don't. I'm not scared to say it. But yeah, it's um. It's a little strange. Mm. It's really odd. Mm. Yeah. And it ma- means that you kind of try and relate to really superficial things. Yeah, um, right. Which just to prove that you are... That you're a, a grandchild. Yeah, yeah, a product of mm. that. And so I've been to Sri Lanka twice mm. um, and visited family over there and that was wonderful. Mm. But I have no interest in interrogating my dad's side of the family right. and his cultural background. Right. I say cultural, mm. uh, his background mm. at all. Um which is quite funny and probably a little bit naive of me mm. to just be like, no, mm. I do not want to engage. Mm. Um, but yeah, they, they couldn't be more different both mm. sides of the family. And do they, it, so, it sounds like there's been peace. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. It's, um, How has that worked? It's, 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they don't really spend that much time together. Right. And there is also, there has no doubt been tension over the years. I think my auntie is currently fighting with my uncle. Um, they, they're separated, but they, you know, <laughs> always in each other's lives. They never got divorced. They didn't mm. want to pay the $200 or something. <laughs> so they were like, we'll just stay married. Um, so there is tension, um, but you can't afford to be fighting mm. all the time when everyone is so, um, you know, my dad, they all work together in the same business. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, they're all... Both sides. Mostly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enough. So <laughs> yeah, my mum's yeah. um, brother is um, a horse farrier. Mm. So he worked with my dad. Mm. And then my dad's brother was a jockey. Wow. So he worked with dad. Um, and my mum and her sister worked at the track. And then my mum's sister worked in the office with my mum. And then my mum's cousin, um, Heather, she worked in the office as mm. well. And uh, her mum was a cleaner. Mm. And she happens to be my grandmother's sister. And everyone's so on both sides is really... And then my grandpa on my dad's side is a... Um, he breaks in horses. He mm. is an actual cowboy. So wow. that's his job. Um, and then my his wife, my grandmother, runs a little coffee float. Is he at, still going? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, he shouldn't be. Okay. Um, but he, they're all, And they're all quite young. My dad was 21 when um, he was married. So mm. my dad's still in his 40s. Um, they're not even boomers yet, which wow. is, I mean, kind of terrifying. Um Every time he acts like one, I'm like, you're not there yet. Like, you're not <laughs> even part of that generation. <laughs> um, yeah, so everyone's so, so unbelievably enmeshed. Um, yeah, and, and I feel like I'm, I'm often the only one kind of calling out that behavior. And even then, it's, it's hard. Mm. It's not worth it a mm. lot of the time. Mm. You just let it happen. Mm. And do, how has it been calling out such established ways of thinking like can is it yeah i mean i i don't know i hmm there is this kind of running idea that i'm weird and my auntie on my dad's side sort of says to she was on a truck to banala with a couple of other i don't know horse people and she told someone who told someone that her niece is weird (laughs) um so that's that's probably the extent which it gets but I don't care. It's more so that my mum gets very embarrassed. Right. Again, she when I'm political or when I say things about, um, you know, certain subgroups or the way the world works, she gets incredibly embarrassed. Yeah, and her right. friends often give her a hard time. And I care about that. How I about don't, you? Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. It's so it's so weird. Wow. Um, I mean, they're, they're Cranbourne liberal voting, mm. you know, world. Mm. Um, and because I have a lot of them on Facebook – um, yeah, they can get a little bit. I keep things off Facebook now for that reason, but it's more so that I I I worry about my mum feeling so, and because she is so worried about image, and she yeah, wants right. to ensure that you know I like you were saying about your dad. I'm a product of her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. so the more I disobey, yeah, um, the more it looked bad on her. Yeah, yeah. And I just don't think other like many other conventional um, white families are as concerned with that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, yeah. There, there isn't the risk of, of losing everything because there's, there's already, some security. Totally. There's, an, a, there's a, a tradition. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, wow. Okay. Um, and does, 
Because yeah, I, I've thought about how I've thought a lot about what it takes to convince someone of something. Mm. Um, and like my my thinking hasn't been successful. Like I, I have no idea how you do it, but I wondered how, like if your grandfather said something and you did call him out, um, or just, you know, someone who, someone who isn't part of, you know, the, the, like, uh, I, I often forget that I really live in like a bubble and because I've, yes. I've been raised in Carlton North. Um, yeah, like uh, there's a certain way of thinking and it seems to be the people who are my age and who I spend time with mostly think in, in a similar way and they have, they have similar values and they think si- certain things, similar things are acceptable and similar things aren't. And so there's kind of like this homogeny. Um, and you know, sometimes it tends towards an echo chamber. Mm. Um, absolutely. And when, when you're speaking with someone who's not inside the same kind of protected sphere that you're in, um, I wonder how you're supposed to introduce your world Mm. to them. Um, yeah, I was wondering whether you had any thoughts on that. I have a lot of thoughts on that in the sense that I don't introduce my world to them. Right. So a lot of people in my family don't know what I do. Mm. Um, When I said I was finishing off an arts degree, they assumed that was painting. Mm. Um, And it's safer that way. Right. Um, I think there is, you know, I've felt it a little bit during the the plebiscite because I'm um, bisexual and speaking to, and family members knew but didn't want to talk about it. Right. And that was a strange thing because I was really hurt by the way they were. I, we only had one family member vote no, right? Um, which I was quite surprised about, but um, grateful. Mm. And do you think that was your work? Um, not not the person that. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I think, uh, yeah, my. My Madison's parents, weird. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, my parents are, they're strange. They're not progressive people. Um, but they are strangely progressive when it comes to LGBT stuff. Right. They, yeah, we're weirdly accepting. Mm. Um, I mean, they do have the whole classic, oh, I don't mind what people do, but don't do it in front of me. Yeah, As if, yeah. uh, And you just think, okay. Whatever, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I do. I, I never, sh- I've never shied away from th- those sort of conversations with my parents. Right, um, and they've been receptive. Um, over time, okay. I think we've definitely softened each other. Right, um, they do do the whole consider it from our perspective, mm. and then I, then I do the whole. I have my whole life. Yeah. And now <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, challenging that. So they, they do struggle to do the mathematics mm. with that. Um, but yeah, I do. Everyone knows where I stand, um, and me just being around and sort of looking the way I do and, and engaging with the world the way I do is often enough of a cultural shock. Um, yeah, even just like having hair under my arms, they're like, "What? Mm. What on earth mm. are you doing?" Um, so I I sort of leave it at that. But I do really. I'm not a confrontational person, which right. is funny because my work does translate into quite a confrontational way sometimes but i'm really not mm. so i i do try to avoid those conversations at all costs mm. <laughs> okay um 
And do you do you avoid them because what you're trying to avoid is confrontation, or do you avoid them because you don't think that it's going to be successful? Mm, like, do you, do you think question. that the, like is it damage control? I think so. I think it definitely is damage control. Right. Um, I think that the that's like, why do you I think, don't. Do you think you could? Sorry, sorry to no, no, interrupt no, no. you. Do you think you could convince your parents that the way that you think the world is or the way that you think you are is the way is a more appropriate way or a more totally. reasonable way or like you know without whacking a progressive label on mm, it like yeah yeah i think i could i think i have been very slowly being able to do that right um i when i started doing some volunteer work at the asrc there were just there were just little conversations yep. about you know what sort of people that I'm engaging with, yep. and and then every time, Dad would Dad Dad always does feel he has permission to be like mm, and, and to question these things, and then I'll remind him that how do you think you're you know <laughs> do you know who you're married to? Mm. And a lot of the a lot of the asylum seekers um, are Sri Lankan, yep. and when they're reminded of those things mm. and how close they are mm. and how they could be these people. Mm. Um, there is a softness, there's a tenderness there. Mm. But I think if I went hardline, um, <laughs> yeah, if I think if I went hardline with them, it would be incredibly damaging yeah. and not useful at all. Yeah. They need to feel like they can use me like a bit of a Google search yeah. and just say, is it okay? It's sort of like the you can't ask that mm-hmm. ethos. Is it okay to think this? Probably not and this is why. Mm. Cool, mm. easy. Mm. Yeah, it's... it's um. There is certainly a way mm. to do it. Mm. And so then do you think that if people are trying to communicate with those that aren't in their sphere, that because it sounds like what has been successful for you communicating with your parents has been like a gentle exposure to mm. the way that people's worlds can be. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that that is how we should communicate? I do. I I really, <clears throat> I struggle a little bit with call out culture. Right. I understand it and I think that it needs to uh, – a, a perfect example of this is I – so I was covering the March for Men for yep. um, the feed, SBS, and it was an interview series with a bunch of different men that were attending the march. Yep. Um, and they were all atrocious, no doubt. Yep. But there was one boy that I spoke to who was 16, I believe, and he was lovely and confused and his dad was there his dad didn't know what the hell he was there mm, doing mm. he was a really nice guy his dad um this boy had been homeschooled he was sheltered he had probably seen the words march for men and thought i don't mind being a man uh let's listen mm. um and he came along and we took a photo of him and everything and i spoke to my photographer um that i was working with and i had this moment where i thought this could if i publish this and humiliate this mm, person. Mm. This could radicalize him. Mm. And I don't agree that he should be here, but yeah. he doesn't know yet. Yeah. And God, if I had seen myself at 16, mm. I'm sure there were things that I thought and said mm. that were, I mean, Facebook memories does that for me. Yeah. <laughs> you just think, oh my goodness. If I had the space mm. and not didn't feel ashamed. Mm. I mean, there are gradients to that. Mm. I mean, we have literal Nazis yeah. that deserve to be called out and, and humiliated yeah. um but i think that there is a way to to engage with people 
um, that isn't necessarily labor. I was there doing a job mm. and it didn't change if I decided to omit this person from the interview. Um, and maybe he could then see the interview and see see the quotes that these men were saying, like one man said about putting a woman in a body bag that didn't agree with him and then think to himself, mm, maybe I don't want to engage with that. Um, so there certainly is a way and I, I do really struggle with the um, echo chamber mm. in that sense because I just feel like it can be incredibly isolating and it's often very classist mm. as well. Um, often people have these... Um, they don't have problematic views, mm. but they don't have the language. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there is that element there of like, uh, it's, yeah, it, I, I do think that we can fall into quite a classist, um, isolating mm. exclusivity yeah, when yeah. it comes to having the language to describe progressive yeah. politics. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is really like, um, it it seems to be very young. Yes. Yeah, and... It seems like the majority of the discourse um, is, yeah, is coming from young, young people, and in Melbourne, it seems to be de- originating in this area. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you're onto something about like there is like something demarcating spaces, absolutely, and, like, and it seems like crossing like the boundaries between spaces are pretty solid and yeah. it's hard to move between them. Um, and cancel culture is terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Really scary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember having this feeling where I just thought, oh, God, who was it? There was someone that was essentially cancelled and I just thought if she's the enemy, then we've got a really big problem. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it just it, it, it kind of goes against um, – room for growth yeah yeah um it's it's a little bit terrifying Mm. Mm. well like i um yeah how some some people may be rightly cancelled and Mm, others might not be Mm -hmm. um or like you know in the in the example that you gave of the 16 year old um yeah i think in i think you're right in that posting something like that would yeah, that that would be. There would be a, something mm. attached to him that mm. I, I'm not sure that that can be erased. I think the I think when the issue is larger than someone, yeah, like the issue yeah. is larger than him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if he just fell into it, yeah, then he's not the problem. It's yeah, the yeah, larger problem. Yeah, um, yeah. and I think about that a lot. Yeah. If if someone just happens to be collapsing into this space, yeah, then we yeah, need to yeah. interrogate the space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I, the question I was going to ask, and mm. I, I'm not sure there's an answer. Like, if you are in that, in like, so yeah, if you are that 16 year old boy and you do, you are cancelled, mm. um, and the cancelling makes you realize that what you have done is fundamentally wrong mm-hmm. or that you no longer agree with it or that you didn't understand what it was and now you do. Mm. It seems very difficult to return. Absolutely. And I feel like it would be easier to, out of pride and embarrassment, to just hold on. Yeah. Just yeah. really try and justify yeah. it. Because there'd be this feeling of like, hang on, I don't think I'm bad. Yeah. And if I really feel that, then I must be onto something. Yeah, and they're yeah. all wrong. Yeah. And that's really, you can understand mm. that 
if you if you pull the floor out from underneath someone, they've got nothing to hold yeah, on yeah, to yeah, yeah. apart from the thing yeah, they were buried they with. Had, yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's really it's it's dangerous. Um, and in saying that, I I mean I do I do strongly believe in accountability, mm. but I think we need to accountability needs to be sustainable. Yeah, yeah. That's all. It's not a matter of just isolating people until we have the the most sort of elite and um, progressive types mm. running mm. the world. Um, there needs to be an accountability process where, um, like, for example, I, I've been called out before and I really appreciated it because I, I, um, I was mentioning it was about gaslighting and I retweeted something and I, I mentioned, um, you know, I the experience of being gaslit is incredibly crippling and I didn't even think. And um, someone I, I know sent me a private message, which I really appreciated it doing it privately, where she was like, hey, look, that word, you know, and I know you wouldn't have meant it, um, but just food for thought. And I was like, oh, my God, of course. Mm. In that moment, I didn't even think mm. how ableist that was. Mm. And we had a great conversation mm. and I got rid of the mm. tweet. Um mm. And it was done. And and the the effects of that was that we have to remember what cancel culture or call out culture is about. And mm. it's about ruining. Uh, it's it's about taking something from a space that, that is inherently dangerous. Yeah. So the dangerous word was that that word. Mm. And the person who called me out or called me in mm. or whatnot was able to remove that yeah. politely yeah. and educationally. Yeah, and I yeah. still think about that. Yeah. And I still think it was a wonderful exchange. Mm. So yeah, there's definitely. There needs to be a larger aim and that needs to be a sustainable accountability, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're right. It, it sounds like the gesture of the private message is yes. so is so different to the public um, proclamation mm. or like announcement. Um, and sometimes it, it, I'm sure it's more appropriate to do it publicly than it is to do it privately. But um, yeah, like... You you speak about social media, mm. and you speak about um, like you know where the first where the generation that has grown with it. Yes, um, and it's a pretty like it's a very strange area. Oh um, yeah, and like I I don't understand. I'm like I'm pretty terrified by it. like Zuck is like Zuckerberg is he's got some he's got some leverage. Oh yeah, on every single one of us like yes. they they know a lot yes um yeah so how do you think do you think there is a way that social media can be used that isn't destructive mm. that doesn't contribute to like you know mental health and suicide mm. and these things have increased dramatically and it, mm. yeah over the past you know decade and like uh, I'm, I, I don't know what the exact cause is, but it seems mm. like social media, Instagram, Facebook, these platforms are, they don't help in mm. terms of like having a healthy, well, in uh, an infinite number of reasons. But it, yeah, do you do you think there's a way that they can be used in a way that isn't so destructive? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I really. Uh, like, do you like social media? I do. I okay. do. I I do have the same sentiments as you, right. though. Um, I do think it's fascinating the way social media can be curated. 
Um, and it is so intimately part of us yep. too. I think we'd be naive to say that we, we have our lives online and we have yep. our lives here. Yep. It's so unbelievably mm. enmeshed. Yeah. Um, and we are, we, I, I mean, I'm, I measure myself based on my social media analytics. I have to. I essentially run a business in a way. I, I'm, I sell branded content. Mm. Um, I, you know, in order for me to get work, I need to be seen. And that is the platform to do it. Um, but I think it is incredibly terrifying. I, I, I do think there is a way that there is an ex- accessibility component of social media, which I love. Mm. And that is that some kid from the suburbs or from the country like me can discover a Tumblr yeah. page and suddenly has read Sylvia Plath. Yeah. Um, and there's that element where it's it's this whole new world. But I've also seen the really dark side of social media. Like my cousin um, died. She was a 17-year-old and she died. She committed suicide. Oh, um, and she was – the social media pages that she was involved in were incredibly pro-self-harm. Mm. And so, as a young mixed-race, half Sri Lankan, half Vietnamese mm. kid who was bullied and looked different and – suddenly had this new group of friends who cared about her apparently Mm. um, encouraging her to hurt herself Mm. was an unbelievable thing to witness. Mm. Um, And I remember I I had this moment where I I spent so much time going back on her. We we found this page that she had. We only found it post-death. And looking at her followers and there were so many posts of people that had died, young women predominantly young and and well young people um and i just thought my goodness if if she hadn't have been on this pa- this space would she would she still be here mm-hmm. so there are there are um really terrifying parts of social media um in the sense that i just don't think we have the space anymore to reflect um and we're exhausted in the sense that we we just absorb what everyone else is saying and doing um, which we we do naturally. I mean, it's part of uh, being a social species. But when we can't tap out of that space, it can be really hard to know. Um, yeah, hard to know where we start and someone else ends. Mm. It's yeah, it's a little bit disorientating, I think. Mm. Well, um. but I do think the access component is incredibly important, um, and also the I know people do critique and i i also do the the um signal uh signal virtue signal virtue uh virtue signal. <laughs> i'm having a day <laughs> virtue signaling um signal virtuing that's wonderful hey, it sounds good i'm going to coin it now <laughs> uh virtue signaling they they do um critique that um which i understand because mm. it does give people a false sense of protest mm. when they're not really doing much mm. but they are essentially giving birth to a curiosity in politics or a curiosity in justice. Um, and a hashtag is the first way to do that. And then they might be emboldened to join mm. a, a grassroots initiative or mm. something like that. And so many people know about climate change because of the access to news and the access to to um, online protest spaces, mm. essentially. Um, we forget that this, the news feed is a public space. Mm. Um, and public spaces are where protests occur. Mm. So protest, like the Me Too movement, mm. occurs in a public mm. space. So the, I do have a lot of faith in the medium. Um, I just think we should cr- critique it at all costs mm. as well. It is a product of us. Mm. And because of that, it's a terrifying beast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 
it really is um and the whole the public space thing is it it may be incomprehensible like the idea that you can share something with who knows how many people like i i posted on fairy floss yes i saw <laughs> yeah, yeah, i brought it up yeah, in conversation. yeah. It, you saw <laughs> yeah and there are two hundred thousand people in the fairy floss group that's a lot of people that's a lot of people and i posted a photo of my room mm. and that's a that is the private that is my space yeah and like i put off posting for a long time because i didn't want i didn't want really? just yeah i like I don't like I didn't like that so many people were going to be able to see my space. And also there is that element too of not just see your space but imagine the minute. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And like I I got rid of Facebook um and I I got it back recently. But yeah, like I still I don't know what it means. Like I thought about strangers like you know going on looking for a room mm. and seeing like my room. And then like clicking on my my profile and seeing me, and as you said, imagining me in my in space. space, and like it, it it wasn't like a negative or positive experience. Like no. I wasn't like oh, like you know they're gonna think that like I'm doing something like really weird or like they, yeah, like it wasn't anything like that. I was just like, Ugh. well, there's just that new era of vulnerability, yeah, or exposure, yeah. yeah. Like what what will they? Oh, just like I think what freaked me. I think I just understood then. It's an invitation for them to project mm. whatever they think I'm like mm-hmm. into the room, and I was like, "Oh, like I, I'm not." That's I'm not it's ready. so layered. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is, it's, wow, I never thought of it like that. I kind of love <laughs> that post idea. On very no, <laughs> it's well, like, yeah. It's so funny you say that. I, I, I'd never thought of it like that, and it makes so much sense. Um, and it's ter- It's a terrifying thought. Mm. I hate it. By the way, Fairy Floss <laughs> is a um, house. Sharing yes. place. A, a room, room advertising space, mm. yeah, mm. on Facebook. Why is it called Fairy Floss? I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Um, do they, yeah. <laughs> it's weird. It's really weird. It's been called that for years. Really? Yeah. I haven't, I've only recently been indoctrinated into Oh, the, wow. I I got a room on Fairy Floss like five, six years oh, ago. Oh, really? Mm. And it was pretty small then. Oh, you um, were OG. I was OG, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's such a good. That's such an interesting way of looking at it. Whoa. I find that really, really cool. It's like a stoned reflection. I feel like next time I get really stoned, I'm gonna <laughs> think about that and be yeah. like, "Wow, he was onto something." <laughs> yeah. Oh no, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's been a really strange experience, like reading people's messages I and bet. like people who are like and advertising themselves. Yeah, yeah, oh. it's like ah, uh, and like in the context of Facebook, which is like already the advertisement of the self it's like so much like you get a personal message from someone who's trying to describe what they're like so that they can live with you and then you press a button and you're on their profile and it's them like their life is there and then you can do what they did to your room you can imagine them in your space yeah and it's just crazy and then you have to figure out if you like that feeling yes and that will dictate whether or not they get and you feel something (laughs) like you can actually like my housemates and i would sit around the table and we would like scroll through messages and read things and like we would react. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, we would like some people would be like, like no. Yeah, no. yeah. And they they may not have said anything yeah, wrong. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. And it's pretty, yeah, well, like we're, we're strange creatures. I know. How weird is <laughs> yeah. that? I was listening to Hack the other day and there was, they were talking about dating apps mm. and how, um, how Tinder, I think Tinder and Bumble – 
actually do create a pool of people, like group people together. Right. So if you've been swiped right X amount of times, you will fall into a pool of people that have also been swiped right a similar uh, amount of times. So that geez. you are essentially, I can understand the market value and right. that you will get matches, mm. but that's kind of fucked up. Yes. It feels really fucked up. Like so they're moderating. Well, they create this whole ether, like this world of, of you know, degrees of attractiveness, oh. assumedly. Um, yeah. And I did not realize. That's terrifying. It's a curated, every space we're in is a curated space. And it's really, it changes how we engage with people and ourselves. Um, and yeah, the fact that there's even these sort of like dating algorithms. Yeah, I know. Wow. I know. Like, I what know. does that mean? Yeah, I was, I was, um, scrolling through instagram and there was an ad for a dating app and i was like oh ha ha like <laughs> i get it i'm single um but the the bio was like this app is designed to be deleted oh hinge, hinge. i've had the same ad um <gasps> yeah and it's yeah or and i was like, like ah like what are you gonna sell me like what I are know. you gonna do it's strange <laughs> yeah. it's yeah you apparently invest in Invest in it, and you, uh, I don't, I, I've never used it. Um, no, I hinge. What a yeah, word. but I've heard it being dropped around a bit. Like oh, I've right. heard people be like, "Oh no, I met someone on Hinge." Like, really, really. Jeez. I mean, we were. It's so funny. I mean, I remember when Tinder started, and it was it was nuts. I don't actually. I think I was. I like. I hit puberty quite late. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I think I missed the really the, yeah the Tinder the birth of Tinder. Gosh, I I remember. I I can't remember exactly when it was, but it would have been maybe I'll have to find out when it started. But I do remember everyone being like, "That is surreal." Right. And now it's sort of a rite of passage. Has it changed? Like, do you do you did you use it back then? I have used it before. Um, was it what was it? Has it changed? Has your I experience mean, on it changed? I I guess I've been really lucky in the sense that I've I. You hear some horror stories mm. about the way women are treated mm. on dating apps, and I've been pretty lucky, mainly because I haven't really used them. Um, and when I did, it was primarily to speak to women. Mm. It wasn't really. I, I, I was living in Cranbourne at the time. I, how do you how do you have access to, mm. you know, this part of your sexuality mm. while living eighty k's from the city mm. or sixty k's from the city or whatever? Um, so I'd set my my parameters to like. Hundred um and just hope that someone from Brunswick mm. would be like, "Oh, h- hello," and it had that set at hundred k's or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think what's changed in terms of how people use apps now is that any app is a dating app. Essentially, mm. Instagram. Mm. I, yeah. I've met people on Twitter. Mm. Like it's absurd. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah, my friend was telling me that they receive messages on LinkedIn. No. Yeah. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah That's yeah. so that's so thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> I kinda love it though. It's just That's pretty weird. It's so I would <laughs> never do it. And I would never if I ever got a LinkedIn message from someone being like, Wanna get a drink, I'd probably be like, Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> there are other platforms for this. Yeah, maybe t- maybe maybe LinkedIn is like the last remaining. Imagine getting a, an email or something. <laughs> oh my oh, gosh. Geez. It's that's so funny. I find that hilarious. Yeah. That's I, so good. I think that's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Hey, um, it's now one forty-five. Whoa! 
It's been an hour and ten minutes. That's nuts. It went so quickly. <gasps> I know. I love it. I know. Um, I think that's a pretty concise. That was that was awesome. Really good. Yeah. Maybe I'll. Fun. Madison, thank you so much for coming on. That was that was really really nice. Thank you. And what a great combo. Yeah, yeah. I hope. Uh, I'm. It's only been like recently where I felt comfortable talking about um, these things. I was going to say because we never. We didn't really speak much at no, uni, but no. we never spoke. If I'd known that we yeah. were so similar, I would have <laughs> hung out with you yeah, a little I know. <laughs> I know. Same. It's so um, funny. So, thanks. Thanks for contributing and thank you for thank you for coming on. I, I really appreciate no, it. Thank you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. Awesome. How hey, good. Uh, thank you for listening to – if you listen to the whole thing, yeah. that's that's really good. I mean, if you're here now, you probably listen to the whole thing, right? Um yeah, anyway, I hope you were able to draw from that as much as I was able to draw from it. Um, Madison is, yeah, she she has this way with words and with ideas and framing things that really positions you to think about them deeply and to really, yeah, to really challenge and interrogate what it actually is that you believe. Um, and so I'm really grateful that I was able to share that space with her and talk about that. Um, and I hope you were able to, to draw from it. Um, yeah, I hope you were able to, you know, it, I hope it challenged you and allowed you to reflect on things. Okay, so in my next episode, which is coming up soon, um, I speak with a philosopher from America, uh, and she was she came and did a speech at Melbourne Uni, um, which was a really cool speech, and her philosophy is also really cool. Her name is L. A. Paul, Laurie Paul. Um, I think it's really cool having an acronym, like people actually referring to you as L. A. Paul. Um, I don't think I I call her Laurie um, from memory, but. Yeah, we're, we're on a personal basis. That's right. Um, yeah, and she her she's into kind of philosophy of mind, consciousness, um, that kind of stuff. And the main thing we discuss is her philosophy of the transformative experience and what that is. It, it's a really interesting kind of, I guess it's an idea or theory. I'm not really sure what you call it. Um, but it's about, it kind of centers around the idea of whether we can make an informed decision about something like, having a child or going to uni if we haven't experienced it yet. So I guess what, what she's trying to ask is whether we can know what it is like to, whether when we're deciding to do, it's pretty abstract, whether when we're deciding to do something, we can decide to do it on the grounds that we know what the experience is going to be like. And I believe Laurie argues that we can't know that kind of thing. And so we kind of have to ask the question of, you know, what what exactly, when we decide to do something that we haven't done yet or experienced yet, what exactly are we deciding to do and how informed is our decision? So, yeah, that's kind of what we spoke about. That's the, I guess, the main, like if I was to give a brief description of what her philosophy is about, um, that's kind of what it is. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the first episode. Um, if you really enjoyed it, which I really do hope you did, uh, please send me an email or message me on Instagram or Facebook or whatever and tell me what you liked about it or tell me what you hated and yeah tell me if you never want to hear my voice again and um that'd be pretty sad but I I hope you don't say that don't tell me that actually um yeah and you know if you if you also liked it uh, a lot leave me a review on iTunes um I'm doing this all by myself so you know validate me please um so yeah until next time everyone thanks for listening love Alex. Mm-hmm.